of the things I find so inspiring about Lee Content's journey is how God has taken things that were difficult, struggles, and suffering, and transformed them into something beautiful and wonderful. Many of you may not know that Lee was widowed at a very young age. Uh, she had a one-year-old and a newborn baby. Uh, and in the midst of that, God met her in powerful ways. And for the last several years at Calvary Church, he's been using that painful experience in her life as she has led our widow's ministry here at Calvary. She also mentioned it in the video for a number of years, 13, I think. She was in charge of what we call Calvary Care, Calvary Community, what we're doing here to reach out and to love others. And it was through that pain and through that difficulty that she has firsthand knowledge of what it's like to have someone come alongside of you when you're desperately lonely and scared and have been through something really hard. And so it's just beautiful uh, to watch how God redeemed uh, those difficult things and is using that for his glory. She also has been a trailblazer here at Calvary Church for uh, women working in ministry. She's the very first female chairperson, committee chairperson in the history of Calvary Church. She was one of the first female pastoral staff members, and I believe, I might have this wrong, I think she is the first female to be supervising both men and women uh, on our staff. And all of that has been an amazing, wonderful thing, but there's been some suffering that's gone along with that along the way. I've been an eyewitness to people who didn't necessarily see what God was doing in and through Lee here at this church. And instead of making her work as a leader something that was a joy, at times they made it difficult and hard. Yet she endured that with such great perseverance and with such wonderful uh, grace and mercy. And now I watch as she has become such an amazing mentor uh, to so many women, especially on staff, but just all of us. I can genuinely tell you uh, that God has used Lee in my life to be an encouragement more than I could ever tell her. And the fact that she has been through her own suffering and her own struggles, that ministry is filled with injustices, it's filled with difficulties and problems, and she has taken hers, and God has used those to make her an incredible mentor, an incredible encourager, and an incredible blessing. And it's been really powerful to watch over these last 30 years how God does what God does, is he takes the stuff that really should destroy us, the stuff that should just absolutely torpedo our lives, and somehow he transforms that into something good and something beautiful. And I'm glad we get to talk about Lee Content this morning because she's actually a great illustration for the character from the Bible that we're thinking about today, Joseph. And what we get to talk about today is one of the most important principles in Genesis and really one of the most important principles in all the Bible. And that is that God, our God, takes the bad things of life and uses them for good. So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Genesis, believe it or not, chapter 50. I say believe it or not because as a church, we've been in the book of Genesis for an entire year. And when we started in Genesis 1, Genesis 50 looked like a long way away. 
And here we are now in Genesis 50. It's page 44 in the Bibles the church provides. Those are the Bibles in the rack in front of you. When we started our series in the book of Genesis, we were, of course, in this beautiful, majestic opening chapter of the Bible in which God creates this world, this beautiful world that we live in, and he does it out of nothing. He just simply speaks the word, and this world came into being. And if you experience rain and green plants and gardens and beaches and sunshine and warmth and human beings and interactions and all the wonderful things of this world as God was creating. We heard in Genesis 1 over and over again, he declared it good. It is good. It's good. It's good. In Genesis 3, however, through our own free will, we introduced sin into this creation. And what sin did was begin to mar what God had done. But God's creation is so wonderful, we still experience the good of it, but yet there are hardships and difficulties and suffering. And in Genesis 3, it actually looks like things are going to start going downhill. That man, we had this beautiful creation, this Garden of Eden, and now we've messed it up. And there's no hope. It's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. But the crazy thing is by the time we get to Genesis 50, and especially the story of Joseph, we see that God is doing something even more amazing than creating this world out of nothing. You see, it's one thing to create something good out of nothing. It's an even greater thing to create something good out of what is bad. And that what we see at the end of Genesis is that instead of our sin destroying God's plan, God chooses in his infinite power and wisdom and faithfulness and love to take evil things, wicked things, painful things, hard things, and somehow turn them into something good. That if we worship God as creator, how much more should we worship him as redeemer? And amazingly, Genesis 50 actually ends on a higher note than Genesis 1 begins the story. So let's look together at this story and let's see for ourselves God as redeemer, God as the one who takes bad and turns it into something beautiful, holy, and good. We're Genesis chapter 50. I'm going to read in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So at this point in the story, Joseph's father, Jacob, has passed away. Joseph's brothers, who have been living in Egypt for some time under Joseph's provision, think to themselves, yeah, he's taking care of us now, but that's because our dad is alive. Then once Jacob dies, they think to themselves, 
Maybe he's just been biding his time so he doesn't break our father's heart and now he's going to enact revenge. Verse 16. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. When we were in our worship planning meeting this past Monday, Vita Wilson, who's one of our associate ministers here, asked the question, why did Joseph weep? It's a great question, and as I thought about it and pondered it and studying and praying for this sermon, I began to realize that that phrase, Joseph wept, is actually the key to understanding what's going on in this story. It's the key to understanding what is going on in the book of Genesis, and it's the key to understanding really what's going on in the Bible. Why is Joseph weeping? Well, as much as we might like to make weeping into something rational and, and straightforward, you and I, all, we all know it is not. That when someone weeps, there's usually a variety of things going on. There are lots of feelings, lots of emotions, sometimes conscious, sometimes subconscious. In reality, the correct answer to the question, why are you crying, usually is, it's complicated. <laughs> There's lots going on. And sometimes we can't even put into words why it is that we're crying. So I think it is with Joseph. Why is Joseph weeping? I think there's lots going on here. I think one of the reasons Joseph wept is because he's remembering what his brothers did to him. I know that lots of years have gone by, but his brothers kidnapped him, deceived him, and trafficked him into slavery. Just thinking about that again this week, I'm overwhelmed with the fact, can you imagine? Your older brothers, who are supposed to protect you, they're supposed to look out for you. They, they took him and sold him into slavery. I have to imagine that when they're making the deal with the Egyptians to sell him into slavery, I have to imagine that Joseph is begging them, please don't do this. I have to imagine that he is absolutely destroyed by the fact that his own brothers did this to him. And while wounds can heal, scars often remain. And I think Joseph is weeping because this is reminding him of the incredible pain that he experienced at the
the hands of his brothers. I think Joseph is also weeping because of the destruction that sin brings to relationships. Did you hear how the interaction between his brothers and Joseph went? Even though they have been living in Egypt for a long time now and they have been living under his kind protection, they don't actually come and talk to him. What do they do? They send word. They have a message delivered. Did you hear it when I read it? Verse 16, your father? They don't even refer to him as our father. Your father, Jacob, said these things. And they do not call themselves his brothers. They simply think of themselves as servants of the God of your father. Can you feel the relational distance? That even after all of these years, even after Joseph has been so kind to them, the destructive power of sin, I think he is grieving the fact that this thing continues to be a stumbling block in his relationship with his brothers. And you know what's worst of all? They made this thing up about what Jacob said. He never said this. How do we know that? Well, they don't come up with this story until after Jacob has died. And besides, if Jacob wanted Joseph to forgive his brothers, as if he hadn't already, Jacob would have told him himself. Or he would have done it when they were all together just a few verses earlier, and Jacob is explaining to all the boys how he wants his burial and those things to happen. You would think if Jacob really had done this, he would have said, oh yeah, and even more important than where I'm buried, Joseph, make sure you forgive your brothers. Jacob never did what they're claiming he did. They're scheming again. And I imagine that just reintroduces all that pain back into Joseph's life. And so he weeps. He weeps that even after all this time, even after all the good he's tried to do them, they think he's going to act the way they would act. And that can be especially painful if you've chosen the road of grace and someone accuses you of being vindictive. I think Joseph is also weeping because it's been a long, hard journey. From the deserts of Canaan to the throne room of Egypt, Joseph has gone on a difficult adventure. He was a slave. He was sold into slavery. When he started to do well at Potiphar's house, He was falsely accused and then thrown into the dungeon and left for dead. He was then given the responsibility of speaking to Pharaoh on God's behalf. 
and then Pharaoh assigns him the job of making sure that Egypt makes it through seven years of famine and for 14 years Joseph is responsible for saving all of the people in Egypt and in Canaan and in the wider Middle East. This is a huge responsibility and he's responsible for all of his siblings and all of their wives and all of their kids. And now his dad has just died. And I think in part, Joseph is weeping because it's just, life's hard. It's a heavy weight. And he's been carrying this weight for a long time. And this note from his brothers just reminds him of the heaviness of the burden that he's been bearing. And then finally, I think Joseph weeps because he's overwhelmed at the faithfulness of God. Remember what started all of this was a dream God gave him in which God said, I have chosen you. Nothing you did, Joseph, but I chose you so that your brothers will bow down to you. And now here it is. It's finally come to pass. That God and God alone is the only one who didn't abandon Joseph. That God is the one who's been with him the whole time. That God never left his side in the dungeon. That God took him through the experience of the false accusation. That God was the one who gave him the wisdom to get through these 14 years. That God is the one that caused him to be reunited with his dad and his fathers. I think Joseph is weeping because he's simply overwhelmed at the faithfulness of God. I got to imagine he's asking himself, how in the world did I get to this point? And I think the answer is, it was God. I think his weeping is a little bit like a mom with a newborn baby. I think the mom is weeping in part because of the difficulty of pregnancy. I think a mom weeps at a newborn baby because of the hardship of labor. I think sometimes mom weep when they hold, moms weep when they hold a newborn baby in their hands because they think about all the responsibility of loving and caring for this child. And I think time, sometimes moms weep when they hold their newborn baby because they're just overwhelmed at the goodness of God. God, how is it that you did this, this miracle of life? Lee, I hope at some point, I know you have, I hope you get to weep as well. I hope you weep when you look back on ministry because there's been a lot of suffering and there's been a lot of hardship. I hope you weep when you think about all of the responsibility that you shouldered. You were responsible for shepherding and caring for the people of God. I imagine there'll be a time in which you weep because it's just been a hard road. It's been a lot of suffering. And I hope when you weep, you weep because God's been so faithful that you're here today because of the faithfulness of God. That's why I think Joseph is weeping. All right, back to our story. Verse 18. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. 
But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And then listen to this next verse. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph's response to his brothers is that of mercy and grace. Mercy because he does not give them what they deserve. They have utterly betrayed and wronged him. They trafficked him. They threw him into slavery. They abandoned the responsibilities that they had as older brothers to take care of their younger brother. Instead of loving him, they did the worst possible thing you could do to somebody. And what they deserve is death. But Joseph is merciful to them, not giving them what they deserve. You know, in Egypt, right, just one word from Joseph and they're immediately executed. But he's merciful. He's also gracious to them. Grace pairs with mercy. Mercy is us getting, not getting what we deserve. Grace is us getting good that we don't deserve. Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. Joseph not only doesn't punish them, he assumes responsibility to care for these very brothers who betrayed him and signs up to do it for the rest of their lives for them and their kids. Is that not grace? Is that not kindness? To spend the rest of his life taking care of them and their families. How in the world is Joseph able to be this merciful and this gracious? It's because his eyes are not on them or even on his circumstances, but on God. He's able to see through all the wrongs that were done to him. And he's able to see God at work. They did intend to harm him. But God in his miraculous power used it for good. The question for us this morning is are we able to do the same? Can you see through all the wrongs that have been done to you? Can you see through all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the difficulties? And can you see God at work? If you can, then you're able to offer mercy and grace. Because what all these other people, what all these other circumstances, what even Satan himself intended for evil, God purposed to use for good. Now I said 
the phrase Joseph wept is the key to understanding not just what's going on in Genesis, that God is a redeemer who takes bad, even sin, and turns it into something good, but it's actually the key to understanding what's going on in the Bible. You see the little phrase, Joseph wept, reminds us of the shortest phrase in our English Bible that is its own verse, and that is, Jesus wept. You see, there is no other character in all of scripture for whom the details of their journey remind us of Jesus as much as Joseph's. Watch how they are similar. First, both Jesus and Joseph were chosen by God to rule over their brothers. For Jesus, we may say brothers, we mean not only his half-brothers, but also his countrymen. That he was chosen to be ruler, the king of the Jews. Both Jesus and Joseph were rejected by their brothers and turned over to the empire. In Joseph's case, it was Egypt. In Jesus' case, it was Rome. In being turned over to the empire, when Joseph goes to work in Egypt, he is falsely accused. Likewise, Jesus, when turned over to Rome, he is there on trumped-up charges, falsely accused. As a result of those false charges, Joseph is thrown into prison. He descends into the dungeon. In Jesus' case, as a result of those false accusations, he descends into death. But after two years, God, who has not forgotten about Joseph, raises him up from the pit and after three days, God the Father, who could not forget about his son Jesus, raises him from the dead. When Joseph is raised from the pit, he is not simply set back to where he was before. He is made second in command in all the kingdom. When Jesus is raised from the dead, he ascends to the right hand of God the Father where he reigns with all authority given to him, seated today at God's right hand. And Joseph was given this authority and this position so that he might bless and save all who come to him. Today, Jesus is reigning and ruling so that he can use all authority in heaven and earth to save everyone who comes to him. You see, the phrase, Jesus wept, happens in the story when Lazarus dies. And I think Jesus is weeping for the exact same reasons that Joseph is weeping here. 
That's why I'm saying this is a key to be able to understand the whole Bible. Jesus is weeping at Lazarus' death because he's overwhelmed with the pain that sin brings. Death is horrible. And so Jesus weeps. I think Jesus weeps because of the broken relationships that are present in this world that he created. He did not want it to be this way. And with Lazarus' death, Jesus is weeping because this is not the way things are meant to be. I think Jesus is weeping at Lazarus' death because according to John's gospel, what Jesus does at Lazarus' death is going to set in motion his own death. And I think he's overwhelmed with the responsibility that he, as a human, as well as being God, will be responsible for bearing the sins of the whole world. And I truly believe that Jesus weeps because by faith he is able to see through the cross and to see through death to the joy that is set before him and to know that through his obedience this is going to be possible. That because of what Jesus did the death will not have the final say. And so as we come near to the end of the book of Genesis let me make this invitation to all of you who are present this morning to those who are listening online, to those who may be listening to recorded versions of this message. As wonderful as it is that God is creator, that he can create something good out of nothing, it's even better that God is redeemer, that he takes our sins, he takes the wrongs done to us and by us, and he redeems them for something good. And so the invitation to you this morning is too often we are like Joseph's brothers and we project onto God what we would do in those situations. And we think that God will treat us the way we would treat others if we, if we had done to us what we did to God. We think God is vindictive. We think God is angry. We think God wants nothing to do with us or this world. Nothing could be further from the truth. And if you will do what Joseph's brothers did, which was simply confess, God, I've not been the person you wanted me to be. I've forgotten about you. I've ignored you. I've denied you. I've disobeyed you. I haven't thought about you. If you will simply confess, God, I am sorry, then God will do for you what Joseph did for his brothers, which is God will be merciful. He will not give you what your sins deserve. He will not give you eternal separation. He will be gracious to you and give you what you could never earn on your own, which is a promise that he will take care of you and your family and all of your needs for the rest of eternity. 
This is the offer of the Bible. Joseph is just a picture. God is trying to say to you this morning, look, Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is seated at the right hand of God on high. Today, there is nothing Joseph's brothers could have done about the fact that Joseph was in that position. And there is nothing that anybody can do about the fact that God has chosen to make Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But Jesus is not angry with you. He loves you. And you may think, oh man, he's just waiting to punch me. He's just waiting to strike me with lightning from heaven. Please. This is his word. This is the story he is communicating. He wants you to know he loves you. And he is today offering to you mercy and grace. And there's more to the offer than even that. He not only wants to do for you what Joseph did for his brothers, he wants to do for you what he did for Joseph. And he wants to take all the junk, all the bad things that have happened to you, all the bad things you have done, all of the suffering, all of the pain, all of the stuff that you think is going to destroy you. And it will. He wants to take all of that and somehow miraculously transform it into good. That is the offer on the table. We've spent an entire year in Genesis to get to this point. So what I'd like you to do is everybody in the sanctuary, just bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're watching at home, do the same. This is not between you and me. This is between you and Jesus. I'm telling you beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is currently the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All authority is his. He has been given that authority to bless and save all who come to him. And if at the hearing of my voice you hear an invitation from Jesus and you want to receive from Jesus mercy and grace, if you want Jesus to take all of the bad in your life, in your past, in your present, and even coming in your future, bad that you are responsible for and bad that others are responsible for, and if you want Jesus to transform that into something good, what I want you to do is just quietly in your heart between you and God, say this prayer. So I'm gonna say it out loud. And you just, in your own heart, quietly repeat it between you and God. Dear Jesus, I confess that I have fallen short of what you want me to be. I have forgotten you, denied you, and disobeyed you. But I accept your offer today. Please grant me mercy and grace. Please do for me what Joseph did for his brothers. 
and what you did for Joseph. Please take my life and take all the junk and make it into something beautiful. Please do this, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.